Who doesn't like a good old-fashioned ghost story? Or to be scared stiff watching a creepy movie? It's even worse when weird, spooky things happen in the city where we live, London. Today's guest, Nikki Druce, is the creator and host of Macabre London, an original podcast telling the stories of London's gruesome history. Nikki's stories are inspired by her lifelong love of the dark, gothic and creepy. And in today's episode, Nikki reveals not only why she is passionate about London and its grisly past, but her real-life ghostly encounter as well. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. Well, I'm delighted to say that today on the podcast, I'm sitting in the lovely, unusually decorated home (laughs) of Nikki Druce, who runs her own podcast, Macabre London. So a very big welcome to you, Nikki. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And it's really nice to have on the show a fellow podcaster who is considerably more experienced than I am, I should say. Well, I wouldn't say that, but Steve and I have already been chatting podcast tips, so... (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to bore you all with podcast tips, but we we may well do so. But you you are more experienced than me. You've been doing it for over two, well, roughly two years now. Yeah, around about two years now. So yeah, kind of suddenly all came about two years ago and decided that I was going to start my own podcast stupidly possibly <laughs> yeah well it's 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 a fascinating podcast and obviously as as the name suggests macabre i never know how to say that word macabre i say macabre macabre, macabre. yeah yeah i don't know if it was french origin or something it's yeah got a sort i don't of macabre. know i couldn't tell you i probably should have looked into it london <laughs> <laughs> so as the name would suggest macabre london is all ghostly ghoulish creepy unusual horror sort of stories yeah based in and around london and we'll we'll talk about that in a bit more detail in a little while but I just want to understand a little bit first about how you got involved with or your your love and passion for the dark and mysterious and weird and wonderful and and maybe you can even explain to us the the decorations and the way you've set up your own flat where where, where are we where where are we in London so we are in Blackheath at the moment so Blackheath Royal Standard it's not an area I'm familiar with but driving here it is a lovely part of where are we? South East London, I yeah. think, near, near Greenwich, not far from Greenwich. No, not correct? far from Greenwich at yeah, all. So right. Greenwich is about 10 minutes away from okay. here. Which yeah. is also a beautiful place. If people haven't been there. Yeah. So it is an unusually decorated apartment, <laughs> I think. Well, not for you, but for... Yeah, not for me at all. For most most people of my generation, shall we say. I'm a bit older <laughs> than yourself. So, I mean, we've got lots of stuffed animals. We've got, um, I don't know, spiders and skulls. And what have we got here? Musical instruments. Owls. Uh, owls. A Got some wands behind wands, you as well, yeah. gargoyle up there, anglerfish. Yeah, so it, it, it is in the macabre spirit, I suppose. <laughs> uh, dark, rich colours with candles all around, scented candles. It, it is lovely. It, it is ho- it is homely. It, it, it is lovely. My wife would love it, I have to say. She might not like the French poodle head on a, <laughs> on a stick over there. On a, what's that, a cat? Um, cat that is a cat scratching post. Cat the cat scratching. Is, uh, is, is absent at the moment. She is hiding yeah, under the bed somewhere, yeah. so... But yeah, that's a mask that I bought off of Amazon after a couple of glasses of wine one evening yeah. and decided that a uh, an 80s style French poodle mask would be a good addition to the flat. Yeah, it doesn't freak, <laughs> doesn't freak the cat out when it comes no, over a quick scratch. No, not at all. Scrap. She doesn't care. She She's does. fine with it. <laughs> so it obviously is part and parcel of who you are, this, this um, I don't know, what would you call this style? It's referred to as maximalist because it's uh, something that we were reading about, me and my other half were reading about not that long ago, um, realising that we hadn't, that we'd actually done it ourselves. Mm. (laughs) 
But yeah, it's this whole style that is called maximalist, which is basically cramming everything in. Um, so yeah, so as Steve said, we've got a lot of stuffed animals, that kind of thing. And in, in the evening, um, we are very keen on having it very low level lit in here. So we have things like the big Frida Kahlo lamp that is next to you. Oh, wonderful, yeah. Um, and yeah, our skull lamps and things and candles and... So you yeah. like the eerie feel when you're settling down of an evening yeah. with a glass of wine yeah. and a, a few gargoyles and skulls staring back And our drinks globe as well. Your drinks globe, yeah. I spotted that. Is very well fully stocked, as you can see. <laughs> d- d- does it open up? It does in the, open in the up, the classic yeah. globe style. Yeah, it yeah. does. How yeah. wonderful. Yeah, that was a gift from my mum when I moved into one of my places in Bristol, um, when I lived in Bristol. So, yeah, so it's been well, with me Well, I like the look since. of the, the drink on the drink stand there, and I like the globe as well. And as you say, maximalista, because the current trend, I suppose, is stripping everything back and, you know, back to yeah, bare floorboards. Yeah, well, apparently and- it's now going the opposite way. So this is apparently the way that everybody is going to be dressing their houses soon. So um, House of Hackney, if people want to Google House of Hackney, then that's kind of how I I would say our house is. <laughs> okay. Um, because that's the like interior designer sort of trend with those guys. So we have some House of Hackney wallpaper that's up there. But it's, it, it's lovely. If you want to see another truly maximalist sort of style, check out one of my other guests is uh, Stephen Wright, his House of uh, Dreams, Ooh. In one of his, which is a museum, which is uh, oh, very wow. unusual. You want to check that one out yeah. at some point. That really is stuffed for <laughs> in the most bizarre way, but that's, oh, that's the lifestyle he's chosen. So let's um, go back a few years. London is known historically, you know, for lots of weird and wonderful stories and tales and ghostly happenings and weird creepy things going on particularly if you go back to victorian and medieval times you know jack the ripper and all those sort of things what was it that sparked you as a child to have a love and passion for creepy wonderful things oh many many things um i would say that probably first and foremost the way i was brought up was definitely spooky (laughs) um so we would always be told ghost stories. My mum was always like a big fan of making sure that we would go on ghost walks and stuff and, you know, things like hanging around of a weekend, being out in Hampshire, running around, trying to hunt down um, highwaymen, that kind of thing, as you do. <laughs> what, what sort of age were you being told ghost stories? Um, Probably from, well, when I was really young, I remember watching my first ever horror movie was a uh, George A. Romero um, Night of the Living Dead. That was my first ever horror okay. movie that I yeah. watched. And that was my gran that showed that to me. And that gave me my love of zombies. So if you have a peruse over the DVDs there, you can see it's filled up with uh, with zombie films because okay. that's that's where that came from. So so always brought up with horror films. Horror films are always a departure and something that we would watch of an evening. And then when I was growing up, it was more that my gran would let me get away with watching horror films, whereas my mum wasn't so keen on that. So, so when she was babysitting, your yeah. parents were out. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So yeah, because my uh, gran and granddad, well, my granddad still lives at the bottom of my mum's place. So basically the gardens back onto each other. Oh, I see. So we were always able to just kind of go down and be babysat whenever. So uh, what fun <laughs> that must have been handy. for you. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, really nice growing up that way. Just being able to have that kind of basically two sets of parents looking after you was really mm. lovely. But yeah, so we always used to grow up with stuff like that. And I remember reading Frankenstein when I was about eight, I think, and just getting into all of that weird, creepy stuff. And then, yeah, just that's how it all sort of came about, really. Mm. 
because I, I remember as a kid also, when my parents used to go out, I, I don't think it was with a babysitter. It must have been was just old enough to be left on my own, turning on the telly and mm. staying up late and watching the uh, the Count Dracula films yeah. with, um, what was his name, Christopher Lee, and then the old the very old black and white Frankenstein movies. And, some, and then they used to have another series which was on, which was a very spooky series, which I can't remember the title of now. Tales of the Unexpected. Tales of the Unexpected, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the beginning scene of that, the music yeah. was very spooky. And going to bed, absolutely crapping myself. Yeah, <laughs> written by Roald Dahl. Roald Dahl, wow. yeah. yes. They were very scary for, for, for children. Yeah. So I can understand that can leave an impression on you because I, I've still got those sort of weird, spooky, dark memories even today as, yeah. a, as, as an adult. But they weren't slasher horror films like I don't like you get today necessarily. Were they, they were more the sort of subtle, so macabre sort of spook, yeah. spooky things that sort of played on your mind. Yeah, and I think that's always something that I've I like. You know, your sort of your eighties horror. Like I really like Freddy and Jason and that kind of thing. But I think for me, it's all about kind of the spooky side of things. So the Universal monsters. So you know, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, all the werewolf movies, that kind of thing. Those were much more intriguing to me when I was growing up um, and we were always shown a lot of the um, I remember my gran having the sky package and having like the 1950s horror films and watching those and that being what I really enjoyed and it was way more subtle it wasn't gory or scary mm. or anything like that but it was just a bit spooky and that kind of spooky feeling I think is quite cozy yes. and that's what, why I like it <laughs> yes no, I can understand that there is something nice sort of as you say you know sitting in front of the telly in a nice warm mm. comfortable home yeah, seeing all these horrible things going on, which aren't part of your life, but you're bringing into your life. And yeah, sort of thinking, what if, what if yeah, that and it's me? like if you get too scared, you can turn it off. Yes. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you can step away. But then from thinking, it. oh, maybe there's some that some yeah. horrible person is in my in my house, you know, somewhere mm. tucked away. Yeah, exactly. In the dark recesses somewhere. Yeah, that kind of being creeped out, I quite like. And I quite like being able to sort of impart that now as well, I think. I think uh, I've had quite a few comments and things and, and uh, reviews which have said, oh, I feel quite creeped out after this, or somebody that uh, listened to my ghost story that I told as well, my real-life ghost story, if you can call it that, and said that he couldn't get up and go to the loo afterwards because he was too scared. <laughs> okay. No, I, I didn't... I mean, I've, I've listened to some of your yeah. podcasts, some of your stories, but I haven't heard your ghost story, so... Yeah. Without maybe recounting the whole thing, the yeah. half-hour version. Yeah. What, what's what's the, the potted version, version of your ghost story? Um, so yeah, so the potted version was. If our when... listeners can, can bear it. Ooh, scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I lived in a house in Shooters Hill, which is just sort of up the road from here, and Shooters Hill has got quite a lot of history tucked behind it. But living in this, it was a it was a really weird shaped house. So when we first viewed it, I thought, right, this is amazing because it's just so odd. And so we went in and it had a, you go into the living room, go down a set of stairs, there was a basement to your right, and then you go down a set of stairs into the kitchen, and then another set of stairs into a kind of weird uh, sort of anti-room into the garden, and then there were two bedrooms upstairs, but again on two separate levels and a separate bathroom on a separate level. So this house was huge, <laughs> and we got it for like peppercorn rent, basically. And so we'd lived in the house for around about three months or so. And it was always a bit spooky and a bit creepy anyway. And I don't know why, if it's just to do with the layout there or what, or if it was on some kind of ley line, I don't know. But it also had this boiler that would make a noise that just sounded horrible. <laughs> so if you were ever there, it just set you on edge a bit. And one night I was sat on the sofa and my cat came into the room, jumped on the table and the table started rocking from side to side. But then she got off the table and then it started rocking more in more of a side to side motion mm -hmm. that wasn't her. 
And um, yeah, so that was a bit scary. And I thought, right, okay, fine. I'm just going to go upstairs and ignore it. Um, And then a couple of weeks after that, stuff started going, well, not going missing in the house, but moving around the house. So appearing in different areas. So there's things like magazines would appear behind my TV in my bedroom. Things like cutlery would appear in my bedroom. Just really weird, really odd stuff. And I thought, well, I don't know, I was working a lot at the time. So I was like, well, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just doing stuff or maybe it's my housemate Um, because he worked different shifts um, to me. So I was often in the house on my own. And then one night I was washing my face um, in the bathroom and I looked up and I saw something in the mirror behind me. And I was like, right, okay." Um, And so I thought, right, there's nothing there. It's fine. Just wash your face. Not a problem. So did it again and dried my face, turned round went to leave the bathroom, looked up the stairs, and there was a, what I can only describe as a wet-looking boy, was crawling out of the wall. Oh, for goodness sake. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like something out of the grudge. Yeah. Um, Crawling out of the wall of my bedroom onto the landing. And he came out of the wall, and then I realised that he only had a top half of his torso and not a bottom. And he was pulling himself along on his arms, like on the flat of his arms, um, and then disappeared into the wall on the other side. And as I looked up the stairs and I looked at him, I noticed as he turned round, he he wasn't looking at me. He, I don't think he even knew I was there. But he looked and he didn't have any eyes. Ah! Uh- <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, so I was like, right, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> and so, um, so I thought, right. It's okay, it's not real, can't hurt you, can't do anything, it's fine. And then, uh, so I was like, right, run up the stairs. So I ran up the stairs and went into my room, shut the door, and then I slept with the light on that night. (laughs) And then after that, I never saw him afterwards, but still things would happen. And we were in the house for another six months after that. No, another three months after that. Um, and then the family that rented it to us wanted it back, so we were like, fine, that's not a problem, so we'll move on. You said, yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I didn't say anything about it to anybody at the time because I didn't want to acknowledge it because I thought if I acknowledge it and it knows that I'm aware of it it might get worse so I thought right I won't say anything about it but as soon as we closed the door on the last day when we were there got in the car and I was just said to my other half I was like there's something I've got to tell you <laughs> and so I just told him straight away never about told it. Him, so no I didn't tell anybody yeah because I just thought I don't want to exacerbate this at all because I thought Whatever it is, I feel that it's peaceful where it is at the moment. And if I start messing with that energy, I thought it might. So, for make someone it worse. who does well, two things, you were obviously scared, yeah, chitless, yeah, <laughs> being on your own and and, and seeing something. Yeah. This, what would you call it? I mean, ghost is the the obvious word to yeah. call it. But did you do any research to find out if there was any? Yeah, so I did have a look into it it because I thought, right, okay, if there's some kind of logical explanation here, then, Mm. you know, it's it's not so bad. And when I researched into where we lived, Mm. it was a really active area because it's at the the top of Shooter's Hill, um, which is across from the woods that are there. Um, And apparently that whole area around there was really active for highwaymen and it was basically used to be the old road through London. So it was really active. Um, and so potentially it could be a boy that got run over by one of the carts or something like that, or something bad happened to him and he got chucked out on the way. Um, but yeah, so after looking into it, I was like, right, okay, it's something that's happened in the past here, but couldn't find any 
history of anybody living in the house where anything bad had happened to them but yeah. you didn't mention it to the owners of the property no. when, you, when you handed <laughs> the keys back and say now yeah. i know why we got it on such a cheap yeah. rent no i thought i don't want to uh don't want to let them know but i thought well maybe they do know and maybe that's why we got it as you said do you think so people cheap. who such as yourself have a, an interest and a passion in these sort of stories mm. are more prone to these experiences I don't know I think it's one of those things where I'm I'm rational when it comes to stuff like that and you know you see things out the corner of your eye every now and again um, and you think oh hang on no actually that was just you know a Mm. blur or you know wasn't something that I saw I think if you're really into it and you want to see stuff you'll see stuff and I think sometimes you might get trapped into thinking that there's things there and there isn't when you're kind of spooked out because your brain just plays tricks on you, doesn't Mm, it? Yeah. But I also know people that are complete sceptics that have seen things. So it's weird to think that, I don't know, somebody that completely 100% doesn't believe has also seen things as well. So Yeah, I mean, you're... You know, a rational person. Yeah. You do a lot of <laughs> a lot of research into the stories that you tell, which we'll come on to in a, in a minute. Yeah, but you're clearly 100 percent convinced with what you saw was yeah. in inverted commas real. It was yeah. it, it was actually an actual experience. It wasn't something you had in your head. You you saw something happening. Yeah, I think so. I think it was definitely you know something was there, and I don't know whether you're. It's one of those weird things where I don't know whether your brain tricks you into thinking stuff is there mm. to make sure that you're safe or I don't know why your brain would do that. Yeah. Were there any sounds or smells or anything else associated with that experience? No, no not nothing at, all. at all. No, no. So just just the vision. But yeah, I wish there had been something that was tangible at the time because I would have been like, right, capture Crikey. that. <laughs> yeah. So you brought up in this loving but scary, yeah. <laughs> you know, childhood. Not scary, but you you were you were allowed to experience scary yeah. moments in a in a comforting way, I suppose. When did you move to London? And then because obviously it's a London based podcast that you yeah. you've developed here successfully. Yeah. So uh, I moved to London about three and a half years ago now. Ended up coming up here because my other half got a job here and had to move. So then after that, um, it was only logical that I was going <laughs> to end up coming down as well. So yeah, so we moved. Moved down and then, yeah, uh, been here for yeah about three and a half years now. And then just decided that London was what I wanted to tell stories about, really. <laughs> so I can understand why you want to tell stories about London mm-hmm. in the same way that I, I, I love London. I mean, people yeah. who live in London, London, you either love it or you hate it. Mm. Most, people are, most people I know absolutely love it and are passionate about yeah. it. But you've come up into your podcasting journey a completely different route to mine. You're mm. looking at historical Stories with a macabre. Can't, I can't even say that. I can't say the word. It's like one of your outtakes I was watching before. There was a oh, word yeah. you couldn't say, which, which made me laugh. What was the word? Protracted. Oh, yeah. Pro- protracted. Pro- pro- protracted. Protracted. Try saying that after you've had a view. <laughs> so why the combination of London and, and spooky? What, what was it that led you to want to create a podcast around macabre London? Well, I think London is so historical. Obvious statement, but it is. And when I was younger, like knowing stories of things like Jack the Ripper and, you know, the Tower of London and that sort of stuff. And just having this vision in my head of London being this kind of Victorian city that was just sort of smoggy and, you know, men in top hats and capes and that kind of thing. I always sort of romanticised that side of London. So when I moved here... I was like, right, okay, what do I really like about London? What do I want to, you know, sort of get into? Um, And so I started 
looking more into sort of the the spooky things like things like the London Dungeon and stuff like I always thought that was really fascinating place and I went there when I was about 15 or so and yeah so I've always sort of thought that that was really interesting about London and there's so many little stories that have been forgotten over time and so when I was coming up with the concept for the show I thought right what can I talk about that people are going to be interested in and what's also going to be not profitable because that's not the right term but what's going to be super interesting for people to latch on to and at the time there were things like a lot of true crime stuff was coming out there's a lot of folklore sort of things that were coming out and I was thinking right I really want to talk about all this kind of historical gory London stuff so let's just do that and turn it into a podcast <laughs> and um, I had a uh, a problem with my phone where I lost all the music on my phone and I used to just constantly listen to music on my phone and nothing else And then I discovered podcasts through that because I thought, right, if I can still download podcasts, I'll just listen to those, whatever those are. (laughs) And so I downloaded like, I don't know, whatever was in the There's still people out there who don't know what podcasts are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I still have to explain to people on pretty much a daily basis what a podcast is and how it works. Me too. (laughs) um, Yeah, so I uh, ended up kind of getting into podcasts that way and I thought, right, okay, so I'm going to tell these history stories through there. And I think that's just really interesting for people to be able to go back and listen to all these little kind of short tiny stories that you can get um, because my shows aren't that long um, and I just wanted to tell all those little personal stories from people that have been affected by things and you know particularly when it comes to the true crime stuff because a lot of the stuff I talk a lot about the uh, sort of socio-economic stance of things at the time so things like in my most recent episode is talking about how one woman murdered this fella but basically did it for money and if she'd been able to go out and get a job normally would that have happened still would she have still had to do that and I just think it's interesting to think about the history and also the way that people lived at the time um to be able to to tell those stories that, that was an interesting one actually yeah I, I listened to that before I came out here today yeah. because I wanted to get up to date with your storytelling yeah. <laughs> but she was the first from what I understand she was she and her husband were the first husband and wife couple ever to have been also been executed yeah together uh, together yeah yeah, which in is public, very odd. public execution. Yeah, yeah, public execution. And they didn't just execute them in those days as well, did they? they just no, them. They had no. A horrible way of going about doing it. Yeah. So the guy that executed them, uh, William Calcraft, he basically would put on a show for people, mm. um, and he would do things like climbing onto their shoulders. He would use the short drop method of execution as well. So if you're hanging somebody, um, you want to use a long drop because it breaks their neck instantly. I like the way you say you, you yeah. want you if want you, to, if you're just <laughs> hanging somebody casually this on is a what weekend. You would need to do. Yeah, this is what you need to do. Uh, <laughs> done quite weirdly quite a lot of research into hangmen because I just find it fascinating um that people can be hired to do that and it's still murder, but it's not murder. And I just find that so weird that people would Legalized sign up to murder. do that job. But yeah, so William Calcraft would use the short drop method um which wouldn't break necks so it would just strangle his victim not victim i guess convicted criminal (laughs) um and so he would then have to climb on their shoulders to break their neck he would also rally round people in the crowd to pull on their legs to break their neck and just like just horrible situations of these poor people that would just be i don't know well publicly What's the word? Disgraced, basically. Disgraced, humiliated. Um, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, if you're going to execute somebody, for God's sake, do it. Well, do it exactly. Humanely. And um, Charles Dickens actually went to the execution of um, Frederick and Marie Manning. 
And he basically said, that's it. He's not going to any more executions because that was the final nail in the coffin, so to speak, mm. um, because it was just so grim and horrible. And he they used to attract wanna... huge crowds, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, huge crowds. Yeah, family day out. They used to be. Yeah. We used to take picnics and, you know, camp out for the best spots. Great and... fun. Yeah, as you do. But yeah, throughout the years, it did get more and more taboo. And then, yeah, eventually got outlawed because it was just no good. People didn't want it anymore. So your podcast is a story telling based podcast mm. where you're the deeply researched individual stories of the weird and wonderful and ghouly and creepy things yeah. that go on in and around london through through the ages really i mean how do you, how far back start, do, you, do you focus on a particular era like the victorian era or medieval or well i try and pick from all over because i think it's one of those things where with victorian stuff it's very easy to just go down that route because the Victorians were ghoulish by nature. <laughs> and, it's well, and it's well documented. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. It's very well well documented. So yeah, so trying to basically go across the ages. But yeah, as you said, it's like, you know, the more well documented, the better, because I like to do lots and lots and lots of research um, to make sure that everything is fully, you know, as thoroughly true as it can be. And so I find that the further you go back, the harder it is to make sure that everything is historically accurate because it's more sort of stories than anything else. But yeah, so I cover everything from, you know, sort of Middle Ages through to modern day times, really. I try and sort of veer away from anything that's sort of, um, I would say I haven't got any later than the 80s. Um, 1980s. Yeah, yeah. So, so. so what is the most contemporary one? What was the story? Um, Probably the murder of George, Georgie Markov. Oh, the so, umbrella. Yeah, so the umbrella on murder. The bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's probably the most modern one. Either that or the Enfield haunting. Which has so. been thoroughly well filmed yeah. and documented in recent recent yeah. years, hasn't it? There's been yeah. a couple of movies on that. Yeah, yeah. So there was one The Conjuring Two, I think it was. I watched it not that long yeah. ago. Um and also there was one on, on It was BBC, made into um like a call it like yeah. a serial mini series mini yeah, drama like series. Yeah. Drama series. Yeah. 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 It was but, very good actually, I seem to recall. Yeah, yeah, I think the Enfield haunting is such a weird case anyway. It's um it's bizarre. I, I still don't really know what I think about it, but it's definitely one of my favourite episodes to research because there's just so much research done on it. So makes it easier, but also means that I can really put together a decent case on it. And I think sometimes it's, you know, you've got the facts and that's it and that's all you have to go on it. But when you've got more sort of personal stories and it's... So how do you go about doing your research for each episode? I mean, do you, do you read, do you just Google it? Do you, do you get books out from the library? Do you... Do you choose from a wide range of different source material uh lots of different source material so i go pretty much everywhere <laughs> so i've got lots of books as you'll be able to see this is like my london section on my bookcase over here do you go to the spots physically as well if you can if i can yeah, yeah i do if they're still um, around, there's obviously some yeah of them they're still around a lot of them sometimes are, are not really what they're cracked up to be i uh, <laughs> took somebody from another podcast actually to London's most haunted house, apparently. Um, and he turned up and looked at it and went, well, it doesn't look that haunted. <laughs> and I just thought, right, okay, all right then. <laughs> you should have said, I'm leaving you here overnight yeah, on your exactly. own. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Enjoy, see you later. <laughs> yeah, so I try and basically research from basically everywhere. So I do a lot of online research. Um, if there's people that have experienced that kind of thing, I will try and contact them as well. Um, but that is all also quite hard when you're dealing with a lot of historical stuff. Um, so the Museum of London is really helpful. Um, a lot of the newspaper archives and stuff are really helpful as well. So things like going back, doing 
episodes on uh, the Necropolis Railway and things, getting newspaper cuttings from yes. that was really handy because being able to see the adverts that they did for the Necropolis Railway, I could pull a couple of, a couple of details out from just adverts on their own. And, and that was the Necropolis... I can't, that's another word I can't say. The Necropolis <laughs> Railway. Protracted. Protra- protracted. <laughs> this will be a protracted podcast. If you can't get the words out. That was the railway that brought in the dead to, or take them out of London yeah. to bury the dead from Waterloo yeah. Station. Yeah, so um, it was a, a dedicated railway line that was set up to um, to remove London's dead because uh, London was going through a problem of being overcrowded with dead bodies. So after the cholera outbreak, um, there were a couple of cholera outbreaks that killed thousands of people. So um, And they just completely filled up the whole graveyards. So... They were having problems of, of burying people, then having to pick them out about six weeks later or so and then chucking them into the river. So then it was happening all over again. So then you were getting more and more cholera outbreaks because then you were getting decomposing bodies into the drinking water. And yeah, so all of these problems. So they closed London's graveyards. So they decided, right, that's it. No more burials. <laughs> you just think, right, OK, so what are we going to do with all the dead people? <laughs> so they set up a, a railway company that would take away all the bodies so they would store them under Waterloo Bridge and then um, take them out uh, once a day uh, for funerals out by Woking, that sort of way. Um, so they set up, it was Europe's largest cemetery at the time. So like this massive cemetery. Um, and I think still is one of the largest cemeteries as well. But they could travel different classes as well, I believe, couldn't yeah. they, the bodies? Yep. Yeah. So you had first, second or third class funerals. Like it mattered. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it was more to do with the uh, the mourners than anything else. The so, mourners and whether you're aristocratic yeah. or... Yeah, or and they pauper. had separate uh, carriages for different religions and stuff as well. So people that were on the train wouldn't clash with each other and that kind of thing. It was all really well thought out. Um, and they had separate mourning areas so they could do the service at the station um, and then just pop them on the train and bury them there without people going with them. Or you could go on the train with the bodies and go to the funeral. See, that's there. a fascinating story. Yeah, I mean it, it's, <laughs> it's macabre after a fashion, but it's a it's a fascinating London-based story. Which yeah. I, I guarantee you, ninety nine percent of Londoners aren't even aware of this story. Yeah, you can still see the actual. If you go near Waterloo Station, there is a uh, the old Necropolis Railway front is still there. But the sign's covered over by like a Perspex sign now. So if you pulled down the Perspex sign, it would still say Necropolis Railway Company Why behind don't they it. Take down the sign. I mean, take take down the Perspex and show the sign. Well, up. whoever's in the building now wants yeah. their sign up there. So. Yeah, scaredy cats. All I can <laughs> yeah, say. exactly. Uh, wimps. <laughs> <laughs> so you do a lot of research, and then your your style is to personalise it. Yeah. You, you you create your own version of the story from all the research you've done, and then you you basically tell the story in an audio version for the podcast but now you're also doing it for youtube a video version yeah so i started doing youtube uh four months ago now so how how are you finding that yeah i really like it broadcasting yeah i really enjoy it um i uh for my sins actually really enjoy video editing um i find it really fun um, much more than I did audio editing. So now I tend to just video my episodes and then rip the audio from there. So Because a lot of podcasters, I'm guessing, like the podcast experience because they don't mm. have to appear on camera. Yeah. You know, it's just a, it's a, just their voice. Mm. But now you're actually showing yourself, you know, visually. Yeah. And you, you're, you're very comfortable with that because yeah. you're a visual person, clearly. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you've got one or two tattoos, let's let's be frank, and the way you're... you're your apartment is beautifully decorated, so you're a very visual person. Yeah. And you find telling your story in a visual manner 
is even more appealing. Yeah, I just think if, you know, if you're telling stories, I think it's quite nice for people to be able to to see you. And for me, I find that a lot of the time it's like I can emote through my voice, but also if people can see that, you know, certain bits of the story are a bit upsetting or a bit sad or, you know, there's things that I find a little bit sort of tongue-in-cheek, a bit funny, like, you know, they can pick up on that when they watch the videos. And also I can put in a lot of uh, visual stuff on there so I can put up pictures of the people that it was about um, or drawings of the people that it was about usually um, and the areas of London. I think it's perfect for what you do mm. because because of the nature of the storytelling, um, yeah. the ghouly sort of creepy element to it. You know, you've got the flickering candles in the background, you've got the dim lighting. Yeah. You know, you've got the makeup and, and as you say, all the images maybe of a deceased or some mm. of the, the old posters that were shown, you yeah. know, wanted, all that sort of stuff. I think it's... It's brilliant and I think it adds another dimension to mm. your storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, because it just makes it into a more sort of, you know, not 3D experience because it's not. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean, where it's kind of sure. something that's a bit more, it, it brings you into it a bit more, I think. And I think just with the podcast, I think you can get immersed in it. But if you can actually visually, you know, see the people at the time, it gives you a good standpoint to think of those people as the story's going on so yeah so i quite like being able to use that so how did you find getting into podcasting the actual art of podcasting itself because it's not Mm. something you were doing it's not what you do for a living you know it's not terribly technical to run a podcast but the whole concept of setting it up the branding you know getting it out there how did how did you find doing it because i it took me probably a year from thinking about it to actually launching it yeah did you find did you have a similar sort of oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I took I think think I was telling people about my podcast about six months before it came out <laughs> well, by, by telling other people you committed I, yeah. I told very few people no I kept on telling people right I'm gonna do this thing I'm gonna do this thing but I am very stubborn when it comes to stuff so if I put my mind to it and I want to do things I'll just do it so and I am I'm one of those people where I could, you know, say to people, right, I want to do this thing and then leave it in the hands of other people to do it. But with things like podcasting and YouTube, you can just do it yourself. So it's so easy to be able to do that. Well, I say easy. It's, it's, as you'll know, Steve, it's not. <laughs> it is to a certain extent. you make it look easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're furiously paddling away. Yeah, exactly. So when it comes to setting stuff up, I found that, right, okay, I just need to do my research. I need to work out exactly what I need. I need to be really methodical about it. And yeah, I think as the podcast has gone on, I think you can really tell the difference between some of the first episodes. And even when I switched over to YouTube, kind of the difference in some of the audio and things, but it's me trying it out. And I don't feel bad about sometimes things being not a hundred percent perfect. And I, I don't think that's a problem. And I think people nowadays, particularly when it comes to free content are so set on things being a thousand percent excellent. And you think, hang on, this is somebody that's doing it from their own house out of their own time. And you think things might not always be that yeah. great, but at least you're doing it. And I think you can always improve whilst you're doing it. But all the while you're not doing it, you're not improving. Yeah. So, And we were talking off mic before. I, was, mm. I mentioned to you a chap called John Lee Dumas, who's a big yeah. American podcaster, he, he, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And he's been going for, I think it's 10 years now. Mm. I mean, he's one of the one of the early sort of adopters, yeah. if you like. And he often says, go and listen to my early ones. Yeah. He said they were. They were horrendous. Yeah. And if you do go and listen to them, they're, they're shocking. I mean, because he was interviewing, and he does interview, he doesn't interview people face-to-face like I try yeah. and do. He, he did it remotely, you know, with a with a mic and through Skype. Mm. And the, the sound quality was absolutely horrific. But it doesn't matter. As you say, no. you know, you've got an audience who like what you do. They'll, they'll stick with you and yeah. they appreciate you're trying something. Yeah, and I think I'm always pretty honest as well with my listeners as well. I always tend to say to people, look, hang on a minute, the 
audio for this or the video for this isn't that great i'm really sorry it will be better next time i tried <laughs> and it's almost you make a joke of it it'd be, yeah, be a exactly. bit flippant because i saw one of them when on your video footage you actually yeah. put, oops that was a bit blurry or something yeah. worse to that effect yeah no i always try and point it out because i think if i don't point it out somebody else is going to point it out so it's just easier for me to go right okay that's not right exactly. raise the complaints <laughs> yeah first before and it's like do. yeah i know <laughs> So at least that way I can hold my hands up and say I've tried to do it. So, yeah, so it's not I, I think so bad. It's, I think it's great. And I don't think there's another podcast out there that does what you do for London. There are other podcasts that maybe tell sort of ghostly mm. stories, but not in the way you do and, and around London. And that's that's why I like it so much. And it's why you're, you're here two years on. Yeah. If it wasn't successful, you wouldn't still be doing it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's weird as well because the majority of my listen, listenership is actually American. You wouldn't think so, but it is. <laughs> they love London. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think that's... They love your accent as Yeah, well. yeah. I get a lot of that. <laughs> so I thought when I originally set it up that it would be people from London that would listen. And the majority of people are outside of London, people that have lived in London and moved away or people that just, you know, are fascinated with kind of... People that still think that we wear top hats and cloaks, you know. Well, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that people from America are obsessed with that kind of, you know, time, uh, Victorian times and thinking that that's what they want to listen about. And that's exactly why I set it up in the first place, because that's what I love. And I think that that's really cool about London. Do you think there's like an endless supply of stories for, for you to, to keep going with this? I think there is and there isn't. I often joke that when I run out of uh, stories in London, I'm going to move to Edinburgh. Because <laughs> Edinburgh seems like the next logical yeah, step. Yeah, you go to the haunted vaults yeah, down there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that seems to be the, the next step. So, I don't think that I'm going to run out anytime soon. I've I got, would have thought you know, enough here. There's I've got notebooks for... Several centuries yeah. worth of uh, stories yeah. to be told, yeah. Quite often I will find stories though and they're too short. So actually for Christmas um, this year, which will be after this has gone out, before this has gone out even. No, hang on. <laughs> uh, no, this, this won't be going out till after Christmas. Yeah. This will be the new year. Yeah, yeah, so people can go back and listen to this episode, but I haven't actually recorded it yet, which is weird. So... Um, but for the Christmas episode, um, I'm doing a Christmas stocking of short stories because I find a lot of really interesting, cool little short stories, but they're not long enough to fit into a full episode. So, yeah, so I think there's the danger is running out of stories that are long enough, but there'll always be lots of little stories. I, I mean, even think about it, as you mentioned Christmas, I mean, of course, mm -hmm. Christmas Carol. Was, yeah, was ghostly stories in there with Marley and Ghost of Christmas. Yeah, so I did a, a Christmas special all about Christmas Carol yeah, well, last there you go. year. I see. I'm so behind yeah. the times, with that one. Yeah. <laughs> you can load. go back and listen to it for this oh, Christmas. I'll have to. There's, there's loads. There's loads of stories. Yeah, neither are. Just make them up. No one will know. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fine. Just tell random ghost stories. It's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, there's so much you can do around merchandising as well. Mm. For, you know, are you think you're going down that route? You know. Yeah, so I've actually just got my first few pieces of merchandise through the post. Ooh, yeah, yeah, so uh, kind of starting to branch out into that, but it's it's working out what people want from it. So um, yeah, so I have got quite a good dialogue with my listeners. So like my diehard kind of hundred or so <laughs> that, yeah. that let me know what they like and what they don't like uh -huh. so um yeah so they're quite good from from that perspective but yeah just starting to think about what merchandising put out there but yeah so if anybody's got any ideas send them my way because absolutely i think it's interesting <laughs> so before we wrap up a couple of things what are the two or three best worst creepiest ghost stories you can think of to recommend people to either on your podcast mm. to go and find dig out or elsewhere that you haven't yet told stories of oh 
uh, ghost stories in particular, or well, just whatever, and creep, creepy, ghouly, creepy stuff. Weird. I really like for recommendations of things that people should watch on YouTube. There is a, and if they like creepy stuff, they'll probably know this already. But there is uh, a couple of guys who are on a YouTube channel called BuzzFeed Unsolved, and they do investigations into places in America. And they have been over to to London as well, but they do basically on location visits. So they've done everything from basically a colleague's house was the most recent one where she was saying their house was haunted and they wanted to check it out. So they did that. They've done Jack the Ripper over here. What else have they done? Uh, They did Annalise Michael as well. I think that was her name, but she was basically somebody who was was meant to be possessed um, and wasn't. It turned out to be a really sad case where she actually just had epilepsy and yeah, one of those. Um, And uh, they've done Haunting of the Whaley House in San Diego, that kind of thing. So they do all these amazing kind of investigations. Yeah, investigative stuff. Sort of journalism of this particular niche era. Yeah. from an American perspective yeah, with, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, so I really like the way that they do it because they have a sceptic and a believer. Oh, so. That sounds interesting. I'm not aware of that. Not yeah, it's that really one. good. Yeah. yeah, really, really good show. So I really enjoy that. And they're around about half an hour. And they're also, um, they're not just on YouTube. They're also on Amazon Prime as well. So if you've got Amazon okay. Prime, you can yeah. watch them on there as well. Excellent. Um, so I like those guys. Um, what else have I been What about somewhere in London? Watching? Somewhere which, in which London. Is a, I mean, the London Dungeons is, is an obvious one if you haven't yeah, been to London Dungeons. Mm, <laughs> no, it's probably a bit too commercialised yeah, now, I guess. It, it used to be, uh, when I was at Tooley Street, mm. I feel like it was it was more thematic there because it was in those arches underneath, like, well, England's oldest rail, railway station for a start. So it's, Bridge. Yeah, so yeah. definitely going to be, you know, lots of stories and ghosts hanging around there but now it's gone over to the south bank it's just part of that area of tourism and it's yeah. just not i mean the i same love i love it. the south bank yeah me too probably not for yeah this, but it's not yeah. it's not the way that it used to be not that i like being one of those people that's like it's not the way it used to be <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i think now it is it didn't used to be as many live actors and I feel that live actors replace a lot of that kind of like, I, I want to go around to haunted houses and things like that and look at the cool stuff. That's what I want to see. Yeah. I watch a lot of like haunted house walkthroughs on YouTube as well because I really like looking at the things. But I think live actors are a bit of a cop out. Yeah, because you want to you want to have the thought left in your head. Yeah, what exactly. could be left, things left to your imagination. Yeah. When it becomes too, as I say, commercialised with actors, mm. it's takes the edge off it in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, and I think also as well, it's kind of for me, if I'm going to one of those places and those actors are put there and they're meant to scare you and it's like, if they don't scare you, it's a bit awkward. So you're just stood there going, okay, thank you. <laughs> so I just find it all a bit bit weird. But um, my best recommendation for London for like weird place that you need to go to is the old operating theatre. Um, so that's out the back of London Bridge Station. It's part of St. Thomas's, is it? It's part of one of the teaching hospitals yeah. there, I know, and I have been there. I stumbled across it because it's around the back of the Shard, isn't it? Mm, yeah, uh, it stumbled is. stumbled across it a couple of years yeah. back, and it, it, it is a very good experience. Yeah, up very that tiny fun. staircase to yes. get into it. So it's a spiral staircase of like 75 steps, I think, and it's only wide enough to fit 
just one person up it, isn't it? It's really very good. Very, that very bit's good scary enough going yeah. up. There. Yeah, and then you've got the operating theatre, like an old fashioned yeah. auditorium. I think they used it for some films occasionally. Yeah, yeah, I think occasionally you see it sort of pop up in Sherlock. Yeah, so I think that, yeah, the old operating theatre is really interesting because you've got the herbarium up there as well. So all of that sort of witchy stuff as well. I think it's all pretty cool. <laughs> Excellent. And Finally, just before we go, if people want to get in touch with you or find out how to listen to your podcast, either on the website or social media, what what are the best ways to get in touch with you? Best thing to do is to Google Macabre London. You'll find it, (laughs) M-A-C-A-B-R-E, London. (laughs) Get the R in there, Macabre London, yeah. Um, So best thing to do is to Google that. um, Or you can find me on social media, which is all at Macabre London or at Macabre London Podcast. Um, the podcast is hosted on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it is on there. <laughs> um, so I'm across all the different platforms. But you can go to uh, acast.com forward slash macabre London. That'll take you straight to the link. Um, or search it on iTunes uh, and YouTube. Just pop in macabre London podcast and you'll find it there. And of course, leave a review. I saw you've got lots of nice. Yes, please always leave a review. Nice <laughs> reviews on there on iTunes in particular. So um, the podcast can be found far and wide. Well, Nikki, it's been an absolute delight. Uh, a little bit spooky. Yay! That's what <laughs> to, I aim for. <laughs> to see you and meet you finally. And um, keep on doing what you're doing. It's uh, it's good fun, isn't it? Yeah, it is yeah, good. You do get a kick out of doing yeah. it. And everyone else gets a kick and a scare. Yeah, exactly. And a of it as well. <laughs> so thank you very much again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.